Hey guys, welcome back to First uh, Peter. This is our um, end, uh, beginning, I guess, of chapter 3, but I'm such a knucklehead. When I, uh, you're going to have to go back and listen to this story about um, Maximilian Colby, but I left out the best part. I don't know why I split the switch, and Bessie had to, I had to call her, and she dug it out of the trash can. But I want <laughs> you to remember, this is, the, this is about um, Maximilian Colby was the um, what they call the church, the Christ of Auschwitz and he was the, called that because he poured out his life for others and he um, well you'll have to hear this other part of the story but the end of it he gave up his life so this other man could live and the man that lived was Gajowski let's just say I can't pronounce his name but this is the end of the story it says and Gajowski Jagowski would live to be released from Auschwitz. His sons were killed, but he found his wife in a small home in Poland. The farmer turns in her laneway, parks the van. I tell the children this, that Gajowski would, not, <clears throat> would put a rock in his backyard with a brass plate affixed to the rock. That brass plate had just two words engraved on it, Maximilian Colby. And Jagowski, he said this, because of Maximilian Colby, every breath that I take, everything that I do, every single moment is to me like a gift. I say it to the kids, to the farmer, to the rain coming down, but mostly to me. We are all Jagowskis. A Jew died for us. We who were once sentenced to death have been offered the shocking, shocking gift of salvation of being flat out rescued, of being saved. If we believe we're the lost who are saved, how can we lose our first love? How can our bones not burn with thanks, with love, with the message of who saved us? How can anything after his rescuing be anything but an appalling gift? It's time to be tired of being the living dead. Are we the living dead? There is breath still in our lungs and rain on the window and people I love and a Bible right here in my lap. And there is today in the life of Christ right in the dead bones and there is resurrection happening right around and who doesn't unwrap all of these gifts and utter thanks. That lump in my throat, forget the glossy catalogs and the mindless distractions and the frivolous frittering away of your life. Because one died for us that we might breathe this breath. It's all a gift. So go back and listen to this. Ann Boskamper wrote this, um, the first part of the story, because it's an amazing story. Okay, now, I'll try not to forget anymore. This week we're doing chapter 3 of First Peter, verses 1 through 7. Let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you came and died for us, that we might live and have life and have it abundantly. We ask, Lord, that you would just take all the distractions away, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would teach us through your word and, and empower us, Lord, to, to take it and, and change our spheres, Lord, for your glory. And we ask this all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if we were in class, we'd be singing Living for Jesus, and that's basically what Gajowski or whatever did for Maximilian Colby, but even so much more should we for our Lord Jesus. 
Wives, this is the verses we're going over. In the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair or in the wearing of fine jewelry, I mean, excuse me, of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In this first section of 1 Peter, chapter 3, Peter addresses some of the roles of wives and husbands. And before getting into this passage, I thought I would take the opportunity to just say a few things about marriage. Marriage is God's idea, not man's idea. Even though perfect Adam in paradise was sinless, and he enjoyed an intimate relationship with his creator, God still declared that it was not good for him to be alone. And so he created Eve from Adam. And the institution of marriage came into being. Sadly, not too soon afterward, sin also entered the world. And Adam and Eve quickly discovered that they were both married to a sinner. Just like I'm sure if you're married, you've discovered that too. <laughs> when the honeymoon ends, now husbands and wives continue to discover something similar. Therefore, we need God's grace and guidance as well as the Holy Spirit's power as we seek to cultivate our marriages in righteousness. Because guess what? The world watches this. It watches the Christians. And really, it's a testing ground. That's your first missionary field, is your home. I know this may come as a surprise to you, ladies, but there is simply no such thing as a perfect marriage. It's two big fat sinners living under the same roof desirous of their own ways. In marriage, there are not only the joys and the sweetnesses and the bliss, but there is also painful lessons to be learned. There are also trials to go through. There are also very, very, very difficult days as well. Can anyone else say amen to that besides me? We're not perfect people, and neither are our spouses. But when Christ is the center of our personal lives, and our relationships, even the pain of conflict, can be transformed into something beautiful, something stellar, something that we can grow from. Because God is all about taking beauty out of, making beauty out of our ashes. Sorrow eventually turns to joy. And even failure blossoms into success. One of the main keys to, to a fulfilling marriage lies in the exquisite beauty of selflessness. Paul tells us in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Without question, selfish ambition is of the flesh, and it is not of the spirit. 
and dying to self is a lost art in our day and age of claiming our rights. But it is a command that our Savior gives us, not in just one of the Gospels, but in all four. Not only in marriage, but in all of our encounters as well. He says in Luke 9, 23-25, Then he said to them all, If anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must, he must, that's by the very nature of things, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? As we follow him, we are to be like him, selfless, who seeks, who seeks to fault you if you seek to do right. Who seeks to fault you? Peter asks later in this chapter, but even if you should suffer for what is doing right, you are blessed. God sees. God sees everything. Even our own stinking, the insides of our hearts. Speaking of a packed funeral, to a packed funeral, of a packed funeral, she attended of a self-denying man named Ray, who, as Paula Reinhardt's writes, lived his life for others, poured out his life like a drink offering. She states, Paula Reinhardt states, the best memories are still to come, speaking of heaven. I doubt anyone who came to Ray's funeral will forget these words. Every so often you get to see with your own eyes the fruit of a life lived with sacrificial faithfulness. That's our goal. We are to live lives of sacrificial faithfulness. And you can't outgive God either. All the life that comes from an actual old-fashioned just dying to self. It's staggering. It pulls me back to reality. No matter how glamorized the choices and desires of one's individual self and the temptation to organize your life around getting what you think you want, what you think you need, that's not how God set up the universe. It's just as Jesus said, the grain of wheat that falls into the ground like a dead dream becomes a field of such bounty. It stretches into the horizon. You can hardly get a seat at the funeral, she says. So in those moments that no one would notice but you, when you have to die to some small way to what you'd really rather be doing or <clears throat> in order to care for your children or your aging mother, or when you go out of your way to strengthen someone else's hand in God, and you think, none of it matters. None of it matters much at all. And you will, you'll never turn out to be anybody special. And the sacrifice of something you cherish appears a bit dumb by current standards. Remember, my friend Ray, as will I. Nothing is more beautiful than to see a life that has been poured out like a drink offering, sans without complaining and without drawing attention to it. It's beautiful. Marriage is crafted by God, and something that is crafted takes time to perfect. And we perfect it by following God's rules. It is His desire for all of us to come to completion, to be conformed to the image of His Son. It does us well to remember the truth that Satan is ever crouching at our doors, ready to destroy our marriages. He always starts with the family unit, because if he can get the family unit, he's won. 
if we let him in. And selfishness is his number one tool. We are not to give him a foothold by our own poor choices. Do not allow sin and disobedience to destroy this great gift God has given you. Remember as well, God can raise a lifeless marriage to new glories in Christ. He loved, he's, he's a pro at it. If we allow God to lead us, in, the embers of selflessness will burn instead. We are su serving him as we serve others. Remember that. When you're serving others, seek to see Jesus' face in others. And the main field of our ministries are in our homes, just like I said before. And it's also the very hardest, because that's where you let your guard down. Because these people that are your people are going to love you no matter what, supposedly. In doing this, we will be able to live out the command Paul writes to us, to consider others better than yourselves. Jesus gave up all rights for us. Should we not give up our rights for him? In all actuality, we have no rights. We all stand equal at the foot of the cross. Paul tells us again in Philippians, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, although he could have, but he made himself nothing. He taking the very nature of a servant, he made him human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we humble ourselves, and God exalts us in due time always does. Out of reverence for Christ, as each person sacrifices for the other, we see the clearest picture of Christ's relationship with his church. Our marriages are to be an example of Christian love to others. As stated prior, the world is watching us. When we pursue selflessness by the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't come natural in the flesh. The Spirit within you, within every child of the King, has the Holy Spirit indwelling within them, allows us, empowers us to live this life because it doesn't come natural. God will bring beauty from these ashes and success from the bitterness that, that your selfishness has left. Forgiveness is yet another key to a fulfilling marriage. Jesus told Peter we are to forgive 77 times, basically stating, don't you be counting, girl. And that's the truth. Nowhere more important is forgiveness than in marriage. And it's not just forgiveness. It's forget it, too. Don't bring it up 20 years later. Well, you know what you did to me 20 years ago. You're still harboring it in your heart. For Ask God to take it away. Just to take it away and fill, fill that void or that emptiness in, with love instead. Only when we recognize the utter depravity of our own sin and our own need for a Savior can we know his deep cleansing forgiveness and then offer sincere, life-giving forgiveness to others. Only those who know they have been forgiven much can forgive others much. When learning true forgiveness, it is important to first attack the insignificant, which seems counterintuitive. But as we learn to forgive the small, 
we learn to forgive in all. Because sometimes the smile is the hardest. Like in Song of Solomon, we're told, catch those little foxes in your vineyard or they'll destroy it. Because our vineyards are in full bloom. It's the little foxes in your vineyard that will destroy your marriage. And pretty soon you're just flat out furious over somebody throwing away the cheese. <laughs> little things <Broke> can <laughs> little things can ruin the vineyard of your soul, and they can, because you know what? Usually, the person that you're so angry at doesn't even know you're angry. It's just it's just robbing you. It's just robbing you. Also, if we learn to forgive the small offenses, we'll be prepared for the hurricanes as well, because you will have them. We live in a fallen world. Don't be deluded by that. We don't live in Donald Reedville. Once we forgive, we must let go of the hurt and not hold a grudge. This causes bitterness, and it eats its victims like acid every time. And you can see it. It can even change the countenance of one's face. This is just what the enemy desires, a small bit of unforgiveness from which he can set up a base of operations and lead us into great sin. Whenever even a thought of unforgiveness enters our minds, we must arrest the thought and take it captive to the Lord Jesus. Take it quickly to Jesus. We are not to let it get a foothold in our souls. We are, we are called to practice forgiveness and let our righteous, perfect God exercise justice. It's his to avenge, not ours. He will repay. And when you get to that point, sometimes you think, oh, Lord, don't repay them. They didn't mean it. They were tired. They were hungry. They didn't mean to be mean. You start seeing yourself that you need it too. And you want forgiveness too. And you want mercy too. He says in Romans 12, 14 through, Paul does, 12, 14 through 21, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will eat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I remember one time, the Holy Spirit is bringing it into my mind. It's a terrible story of myself. But I was in college, and I, and I flat out just did something well, I, I took somebody else's boyfriend, <laughs> which is not very nice. And um, and I really didn't have a lot of remorse about it either. I mean, she probably should have thanked me for it But <laughs> later in hindsight. But anyway, I was working, and I ran out of gas, and the person behind me that helped me was that girl. And I thought, ooh, didn't I? I felt so much like Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> I and gone with the wind. It's like, really bad? You know, so, anyway, it does. It is so convicting. I mean, she couldn't have heaped more burning coals on my head, quite frankly, just being so nice. Okay, 
Um, Peter begins chapter 3 by extending the principles of respect and submission to authority from Christian conduct in the world to Christian conduct in the family. He challenges his readers to a new behavior, to a higher level. Go further still. Don't, you cannot be stagnant anyway. You're either going up or down. And so he wants the wives to be submissive and the husbands considerate. The word translated submissive in verse 1 is the Greek word hypotasmenia, and I know I mispronounced that, but anyway, it literally means to place in proper order under and carries the force of a command. This command is for wives to submit to their own husbands. It is the order of God. We answer to our husbands, and our husbands answer. We're under their umbrella to God. Ephesians tells us, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And also in Colossians, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The command does not require women to be subordinate to men in general, but to their husbands as a function in order within the home. God, our God, is a God of order. He's a God of order, not disorder, not a chaos. That's a handmark to Satan. And so he has set up the household for the husband to be the head. A wife is to accept her place in the family under the leadership of her husband, whom God has placed in the head of the home and who is accountable in the past. When something happened in the sin, really actually was Eve's sin, with Adam, God came to Adam. He didn't go to Eve when he said, what have you done? He went to Adam. And the same way, it, it's the same way all the way through skip scriptures. He goes to the man. Wives are to be submissive, even if their husbands are unbelievers. So those men might be saved by the behavior of their wives. And this is not to go against what the Bible says but within the confines of what the Bible says. The powerful purity of a godly woman's life can soften even the stoniest man's heart without even a word. Their actions can speak so loudly. Paul tells us in Titus that <clears throat> then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. I think it's hilarious. I always, when I see that, they have to be trained to love their husbands and children. <laughs> mm -hmm to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. A woman who wins this kind of victory has a winsome loveliness that comes not from outward adornment, but from her inner self, the unfading charm of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. This adornment of the spirit is of great worth to God. This is such an important point, ladies. We're to live our lives for an audience of one. You live your life, life to please Christ, and you will please, or you will, every other thing underneath it will work. Trust me. And the results in God's all-powerful hands. Paul tells us in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. While the world prizes costly clothing and gold jewelry, a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit is precious to God. Peter did not state that women should not wear jewelry or nice clothes, but that Christian wives 
should not think of their outer attire as the source of their genuine beauty. Because you can dress up a pig. It doesn't really matter what you do to the outside. God works from the inside out. God works from the inside out, and he always does. Our beauty is to come from within. Examples of holy women in the Old Testament support Peter's exhortation. Purity of life and a submissive spirit have always been a godly woman's lasting source of beauty and attractiveness. Sarah was chosen as a specific example of a woman who was submissive to her husband. She obeyed Abraham and called him her master. That is, she recognized him as the leader and head of their household. Like other holy women of the past, Sarah put her hope in God. This kind of conduct gives women the spiritual heritage of Sarah. Next, Peter exhorted Christian husbands to give their wives two gifts of love, understanding and respect. Understanding is hard for a man to understand a woman. It's hard for a woman to understand a woman. <laughs> we have so many different emotions and all these things going off. And, and quite frankly, I'm sure it freezes them most of the time. The word translated considered actually means to know their insides, to know their inside of their heart. What does she pine for? What does she love? And you know what? That's the same way as mothers with children. Study your kids. Know what floats their boats. Know what, how to encourage them. Know what their bents are. Know what their gifts are to help them. He is to respond to her. The husband is supposed to respond to her according to knowledge. That's how you respond to your kids and you're training up your child in the way should it go. According to knowledge, with an understanding of who they are because they're not you. That's for sure. Peter points out that husbands should be considerate of their wives' spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. Considerate of it. Like they're, they're the weaker one. Peter also elaborated on the husband's responsibility to protect and to care for her, his wife just as Christ does the church. As Paul states in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives and as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing the water of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. That was in Ephesians 5, 25-30. Also, husbands are to treat their wives with respect as the weaker partner. Weaker here refers to physical not or emotional weakness, not intellectual inferiority. For wives are the are your husband's fellow heirs of God's gift of life. Peter added that husbands who do not treat their wives with consideration and respect, honor cannot expect to have their prayers answered. Um, in closing, I wanted to read in this book, Time with God, and it write, he writes, uh, let's see, Keller, Philip, Philip Keller, and a lot, <clears throat> if the life is open to receive the divine presence of the risen Christ, he comes in, speaking peace, 
just as he came again and again to his distraught disciples after his resurrection, saying, Peace, peace be unto you. He comes into our lives there to shed abroad a new love, his own life, that expresses itself in peace. Is your, is your home filled with peace? When he enters my experience, when he penetrates my personality, when he becomes sovereign in my spirit, I, in turn, become a person of peace. It is then that I began to know what it means to be at peace with God, a state of untroubled well-being, at peace with others, at peace with myself. Increasingly, as he is given control of my life, the entire complexion of my character, conduct, conversation, alters. I discover that he can change me dramatically. He always begins, like I said, from the inside out. Peace, goodwill, good cheer, and serenity replace animosity, bitterness, hostility, belligerence, jealousy, bad temper, quarreling, rivalry, and on and on and on. The peace of God, which is self-sacrificing and self-foregoing, produces healing. It comes to bind up the wounds, to pour in the oil of consolation, to bring repose and quietness, to still the troubled soul, to speak peace to stormy spirits. This peace comes only from Christ. The world does not have it. It is one of the genuine, indisputable marks of God's presence in a person's life. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for these saints from the past that just say it so beautifully. I ask you, Lord, that you would just fill us with your spirit, that you would just get away, kick all the selfish ambitions and vain conceits. And Lord, in humility, we come to you that you would just give us your peace and your love and your joy and your perfect presence. Lord, we do. We ask all of these things that you would be glorified in our vessels, that we would bring you much glory to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.